I know. I've definitely felt like the guy getting bonked on the head with a rock. The truth is, I've probably been the guy pitching the rocks before, too. But I think that's a good video. That's uh, sometimes how life is for us. Thank you uh, again, guys, for uh, coming today. We've been looking at some essential elements of growing in Christ since the new year began. And we've been talking about a healthy lifestyle and we've been talking about inviting people to church every week this year so we can grow as a body. But we're also talking about individual growth, the essential elements to individual growth. And as you probably guessed by watching that video, today we're going to talk about essential forgiveness. Just as the video depicted, forgiveness and reconciliation don't always come so easily. You know that. In fact, we often have to work really hard to realize true forgiveness in our own lives because forgiveness often requires us to lay down what might otherwise be a great hindrance to reconciliation. Things like selfishness and, and pride and fear and self-righteousness and so on. But forgiveness, even when it's difficult, is required of those that would follow Christ. Forgiveness is essential to our growth in Him. In fact, we know that we must, of course, be forgiven by our Father in Heaven if we're to experience salvation from our sins and salvation from what we all really truly deserve. But beyond that, we must be prepared to forgive those who offend us, just as the Father has forgiven us. Okay, Colossians chapter 3 Verses 12 and 13 says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. That's, that's something that you don't see a lot of these days, is it? Even sometimes in the church, unfortunately, if we don't care for someone else's personality, we just blow them off. It's as if it doesn't matter how we feel and act may affect someone else, but it does matter. It does matter. And continuing, it says, and if anyone has, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Okay? We are required to forgive each other. And I am so thankful that in this church, uh, up to this point, there has been such a spirit of community and family, and I love it. I love our church. I love you guys. Uh, we've even had comments from district officials who have been here since we've opened and said, I haven't felt this spirit of family in a church in years. It's, it's a wonderful thing. So I do appreciate what we have here. So today we're talking about essential forgiveness, and as you might expect, closely tied to forgiveness is repentance and reconciliation. My original intention was to cover all three of those topics today, but as often happens when I begin to study and I have grand ideas about what I'm going to go through on a Sunday morning, I realize that there's no way I can cover all of that information in one sermon. And normally, what you would do then is we talk about repentance first and then forgiveness and final, rec finally reconciliation in that order because that's the order they're supposed to go in. But I was praying about this service, and I really felt like, in fact, I knew the Holy Spirit was telling me that I was supposed to teach on forgiveness today, and I had an argument with him, and I lost. I said, Lord, that's, that's cool, but that's not the way it goes. See, you, you repentance, and then there's forgiveness, and then there's reconciliation. And the Holy Spirit said, I want you to teach on forgiveness. And I said, I understand that, but that's the wrong order. 
but he won. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness. We'll touch on repentance and reconciliation a little bit today, and probably um, I'll cover those more thoroughly, those subjects in the future as the Spirit guides and directs us, all right? But today we're focusing on forgiveness. So I'm just going to ask several questions as I often do when I'm preaching about this subject, about forgiveness, and then we'll explore the scriptures together to see if we can find the answers to those questions, all right? So the first question today is, what is true forgiveness? What is true forgiveness? If you're keeping an outline, that's number one. When someone hurts us or cheats us, lies to us, abuses us, damages us in some way, what does it mean to truly forgive them? Well, to be clear, first of all, forgiveness is not the same as tolerance, okay? Just because we tolerate someone who has offended us doesn't mean we've forgiven them. I've had friends who have been hurt by other people, and then after some period of time, and we'll be talking about it, and they'll say things to me like, well, I've forgiven them, but not, after, uh, not until I got my two cents in. Right? Or, I've forgiven them, but that doesn't mean there isn't going to be some payback. I've heard that one. Right? What we're describing here may be tolerance, but it's not true forgiveness. Not scripturally. And I'm, I'm continually surprised, by the way, at the Christians today that I hear talking about karma. Karma is a basic doctrine of Buddhism that explains the reasons that things happen the way that they do. It's basically like a what goes around comes around sort of philosophy, and it ultimately ends with the doctrine of reincarnation. It has absolutely no basis in Christian doctrine. It is nowhere to be found in Scripture. But I've heard Christians argue and say that because Galatians 6-7 says, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap, that the Bible basically justifies the idea of karma. Listen, the Bible is clear that there are often direct consequences to our actions, both good and bad, respectively. However, Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, making atonement for the sins of the world, all the sins that have ever been committed, and all the sins that will ever be committed, is absolutely opposed to the teachings of karma. It's like oil and water, okay? One has nothing to do with the other. So I'm just pleased today, if you're a follower of Christ, take the idea of karma out of your thinking and replace it with the true doctrine of forgiveness, okay? It's crept its way into the church. And we say, well, that's what that person got his just deserves. If any of us got our just deserves, we wouldn't be here. Okay, and probably the most common version of forgiveness that I hear today is, well, pastor, I've forgiven them, but I will never forget. I can understand that sentiment. I do. But we have to ask the question, is that true forgiveness? Okay? Are, are all of these examples true forgiveness or not? Have we really forgiven that person that has wronged us or offended us or hurt us? Or are we really just tolerating them by allowing them to still be a part of our lives? That's the question. It's critical today to our own lives not only here on earth, but for eternity, that we answer this question correctly. And I'll show you why in just a few minutes, okay? But first, if you have your Bibles, and it should be on the screen, if you want to turn to Psalm 103, and we're going to read verses 8 through 12. Psalm 103. Let's we'll see if we can determine what true forgiveness really is. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Let me ask you this. How far exactly is the east from the west? It's about as far as you can get. Praise God when he forgives us. He removes our offense, our sin, our transgressions completely. I'm so thankful that he doesn't say to us, I'm going to forgive you right after I get a few jabs in. He, he doesn't do that. He completely removes the offense as far as it can be removed from us. In other words, it is completely gone. This is the model that the Scripture says we're to follow when we forgive others. Let's read Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 19. I'll just read it. I won't wait for you to turn there. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. We just heard that. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's verse 19. Verse 19 is compared here to Pharaoh and his army and all his chariots being cast into the sea. Covered over, gone forever. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, we see God describing to Jeremiah the new covenant and how he reconciles us to himself compared to the old covenant. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was, a hu was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay? This statement by God of course, is looking forward to the consummation of all things. It's God's ultimate plan for us. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten. 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 Not forgotten as in, I can't remember what happened. It's surely Jesus remembers dying on the cross. It's not that you can't recall, but forgotten as in completely removed. No longer existent. No longer stands in the way of reconciliation, of moving forward in God, in life, in our relationships. It's not that the memory disappears, okay? Forgotten here means that we no longer hold our offenses against one another because they're completely removed from the picture, all right? True forgiveness is not paying back to the person who's offended us what they may deserve. True forgiveness is taking that offense and throwing it away. Gone forever. That's what the Bible says. It's wiping the slate clean and starting fresh, okay? I'll tell you from personal experience, and probably most of you know this, it's much easier to tolerate someone than it is to forgive them. Tolerating means modifying our behavior towards someone. Forgiving 
them means modifying our heart towards someone, and that's much harder to do. Tolerance allows us to hold on to our hurt and our fear, our fear that we'll be hurt again, which is a mechanism, by the way, that we use to protect ourselves. True forgiveness is letting go of our hurt and fear and building real relationship back with the one that's hurt us. That's hard to do. It's hard to do because it's scary. We don't want to be hurt again. But how many times does God forgive us and allow us to begin building trust back again with him? This is our model. Now look, I hear people say, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm not going to let people walk all over me. And you know what? I understand that. Trust doesn't come back instantly. Sometimes it doesn't ever come back. Trust is something that we earn by our actions. Look, if, you're, if your husband is abusing your kids and he repents and asks for forgiveness, you, you can forgive him. That doesn't mean you say, here, take the kids next weekend, have fun. No, of course, there has to be trust. It just doesn't happen overnight, right? If, if someone cheats you out of your money, you don't say, yeah, I forgive you when they repent and ask for forgiveness and then hand them your checkbook and ask them to handle your finances. There's no trust there, right? It takes time to build that back. If a spouse cheats on the other, you don't say, yes, I forgive you, and you can hang out with that person you cheated with. Be, be, just be friends. Of course not. That would be ridiculous. Trust comes by a consistent process of proving our trustworthiness through our actions. So there can be forgiveness without trust initially, but to be certain, if there, if there is to be trust in a relationship, and ultimately there has to be if the relationship is going to be restored, our actions have to merit that, okay? If the one that has offended us continually proves to be not trustworthy, then they may not be truly repentant to begin with. And that brings up a, a totally separate question about forgiveness without repentance. And we're actually going to cover that in just a few minutes. But let's just finish this thought about establishing trust first through our actions, okay? Let's look at Luke chapter 7. We'll read verses 41 through 48. Here we see a woman using her tears and her hair, you're probably all familiar with this story, to wash Jesus' feet as he reclines at the table at a Pharisee's house. And this woman has much sin in her life, it tells us, and she's anointing his feet with ointment, and she's kissing his feet and wiping them with her hair. And all of this is going on in front of the host, this Pharisee named Simon. And it's starting to agitate him. He's getting a little bothered because this lady is described as a woman of the city, a sinner. Okay, Jesus, of course, knows that Simon is bothered by this woman because he's God. And she's there anointing um, his feet. And so Jesus tells the Pharisee a story. He talks to the host, and then he follows it up with a question. He says, verse 41, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Okay, this woman was broken 
and repentant. But she didn't sit at home in her repentant state and do nothing. She came to Jesus. She bowed at his feet. And she began to show by her actions what was truly in her heart. And then Jesus points out the difference then to this host. The difference between those who give lip service about being sorry and those who actually demonstrate their love for him, their love for Christ and their repentant heart. Likewise with trust. Okay? It's something that we demonstrate, even as we've been forgiven, but equally important is our response. So when the one who has offended us is attempting to earn our trust back, and we just keep dangling this carrot of reconciliation out in front of them, like it's a moving target that they have to hit, we're not truly forgiving. We're just tolerating and that doesn't cut it with God, where there can be reconciliation. We're generally required to pursue it, according to Scripture, okay? And that means true forgiveness, and then allowing that person to earn our trust back. So on the one side, that, uh, that person which has offended, which has created the offense, has to be truly repentant for there to be reconciliation, they have to work to earn trust back. But on the other side of that, because I don't know what side some of you may be on today, we probably have people on both sides. You have to be ready to allow that person to earn back your trust and reconcile that relationship completely. Romans 12.18 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that phrase, live peaceably, in the Greek is irenuo, which means to cultivate peace. In other words, it isn't this static state that we exist in. We don't just sit there and say, I'm, I'm at peace. I'm existing in peace. It's not that kind of peaceful state. It says work at reconciling your differences. It's cultivating peace. It's making things right between you. And he says, as far as it depends on you, do this. That's your responsibility. The ministry of the gospel is one of reconciliation and it is to be at the very core of all that we do in life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay? So true forgiveness isn't merely tolerating the one who has offended us. It's completely removing the offense from the relationship as far as the east is from the west and casting it forever into the depths of the sea and pursuing reconciliation wherever possible. And we'll talk more about reconciliation in a minute. But let's look at question number two, okay? If you're keeping your outline, number two is why do we forgive? All right, and we'll have a series of points under this. A is, or number one, underneath question two, A, because Jesus commanded it. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In Judaism, in that culture you were shown to have a forgiving spirit if you forgave someone as many as three times. 
That was their proof culturally of a very forgiving person. So Peter here thinks he's really showing himself to Jesus as a generous soul by saying seven times because that's more than twice what was traditionally thought of as being really forgiving in their culture. And Jesus shows Peter that God's grace and mercy are so much deeper than anything we can possibly imagine. In fact, there is no human thought that could begin to capture the reality of the breadth and depth of God's mercy and grace for us. If we're actually counting up to 77 times, or 70 times 7 as some translations have it, we're all in a lot of trouble, aren't we? <laughs> I know I am. Okay? Jesus wasn't saying literally, you can be forgiven 77 times, or 70 times 7. He was saying to Peter, forgive. 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 Keep forgiving. Even when the people in your life continue to hurt you. Why do we forgive? Because Jesus commanded us to forgive. B, because God is a forgiving God. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? We forgive others because God forgives us. C, because our eternal future depends on it. This is a big one. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6 and we'll read 7 through 15. Okay? You've all heard it. This is the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is giving his disciples an example of how they should pray. And I think it's interesting that the one aspect of the prayer, after the whole prayer, the one aspect that he reiterates, that he goes back to, the only one, when the prayer is over, is the part about forgiveness. That's significant. Okay, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And of course, He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then verse 14, He says, For if you forgive others' trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Listen to verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespassers, trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let that sink in a minute. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, We already talked about what true forgiveness is. And now he's saying, if you want to be forgiven, you too must forgive. Let's read Matthew 18, 23 through 35 again. This is Jesus continuing his narrative about forgiveness. This is right after the conversation with Peter about how many times we should forgive. Verse 23 says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be prepared, compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, far less, right? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy, have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It doesn't get much more important than this. We have to forgive if we want any part in the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. It's what the Bible says. The scriptures are clear. If we harbor unforgiveness toward others, we will not be forgiven by our father in heaven. Okay? Whatever unforgiveness we hold on to out of anger or fear or rejection is not worth missing out on eternal salvation. Not by a long shot. So why do we forgive? Because our eternal future depends on it. And D, because it is the only way to fulfilling God's plan for your life. All right, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Sin, including the sin of unforgiveness, will stop you dead in your tracks. We can't move forward with God. We can't move forward with His plans for us. And we cannot effectively move forward in relationships when we harbor unforgiveness. Which left unaddressed usually becomes bitterness, which will ruin your life. Okay? But when we humble ourselves, even when we're not the one who committed the offense... When we realize and accept that we've all been forgiven for so much that we don't deserve to be forgiven for, and then humble ourselves before the Lord and before those we're in relationship with and truly forgive, it is only then that we can get on with God's plan for our lives. Okay? What is true forgiveness? Why do we forgive? And question number three, how do we forgive? How do we forgive, all right? That's number three. A, under that, is from the heart. Matthew 18, 35, from the heart. We already read it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay? Forgiveness has to be genuine. It has to be meaningful, and it has to be complete from the heart. All right? B, I'll hurry through these. Without malice or revenge. Romans 12:19 says beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord It's not our job to exact revenge on those that hurt us it's our job to forgive See by blessing them Luke 6:28 through 31 bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So we bless those who offend us. That really goes against our grain, doesn't it? It it goes against my grain. There are people that hurt, hurt. I want to stand up and punch them in the face. Get mad, we we do, don't we? I mean, it, it's it's offensive. That's why it's called an offense. Someone comes and hurts you, and and sometimes it's big stuff, and you didn't do anything to cause it. 
particularly as Americans, we're independent, we're proud people. We, we hacked out our own way in this big giant land we live in. And it's in our DNA to want to strike back. It goes against our culture, but it's what we're commanded to do. Listen, had the Father chosen to exact upon us that which we deserved, not one of us would be here today. But by his immutable nature and infinite love, he gave up his son for a race of ungrateful, unworthy, and unashamed offenders. Talk about against the grain. Not his. It's his nature. But that's exactly what he's commanded us to do, to lay down our lives for each other, just as he did for us. D, grieve with them, the word says. Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. This is a really tough one. <laughs> who doesn't like to see someone who did you wrong get their just deserve, right? It feels good. It can really feel good to see that person that hurt you get what they have coming, but it's not what God wants from us. He says, grieve with them when they're hurting. I'll tell you what, and I, I'll say this quickly because we're running out of time. I was... I went on a trip one time with my brothers. You should meet my brothers. They're all comedians. I have four older brothers. And several of us went on this kayaking canoe trip up in North Carolina on Lake Fontana. It's pretty rugged up there, big mountain. We all get out in these kayaks and we start paddling. And we have it all picked out on a map, this campsite we're going to paddle to. It's going to take three hours or something. And we're going to camp over the weekend. And we're paddling and we're paddling and we're paddling. And it's like... Six hours and seven hours and eight hours go by and we're getting exhausted and it gets dark. We're out in the middle of the lake. It's pitch black. We're paddling around trying to find our campsite. Basically lost. We paddle in because we see this marina and we go in and we go in and ask the guy and we're getting directions and he says, yeah, you got to go over here. You missed this curve, this, this cove and yada, yada, yada. We get directions. We come back out, we get in our kayaks and we're floating there on the edge of the marina and these two guys pull up. Billy Bob and Johnny, right? I don't know what their names were, but they were, you know, the kind of guys I hang out with. They're chewing tobacco and the camo hat and the bass boat. My kind of guy. Anyway, they're putting their boat in the water, and the guy, the one of the guys, looks at us sitting there in our little kayaks, all these, were, you know, we're young guys, and he just starts berating us. You at no business being out here in this lake and these mountains and those little plastic boats. Not one of you has a lick of sense, and you're going to get yourselves killed. And then all you do is cause trouble for the rest of us who are trying to go out fishing, because we're going to end up fishing you out of this lake when one of you turns upside down. And the guy just going on and on and on. And as he's saying this, my brother and I are sitting there watching them back their boat down in, and they didn't put the plug in the back of the boat. <laughs> if any of you have a boat, when you don't put the plug in, it sinks to the bottom of the lake. And they're back in the boat in, and I said, Chris, did you see that? He said, shut up. <laughs> My brother Chris and I are wired a little differently. He just let them sink and would just enjoy it. <laughs> I said, Chris, we got to say something. He said, shut up. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm seriously conflicted while the guy's yelling at us. And they get the boat in the water. They start paddling back away from the marina, and, and there's no plug. And uh, the guy's going off, and when he stops to breathe between yelling at us, I said, hey, um, I think you forgot to put your plug in the boat. <laughs> and he looks at his friend, and he goes, Jimmy, did you put the plug in the boat? 
And Jimmy said, I thought you put the plug in the boat. Get it out of the water. And here they go. They're paddling back. And we're, you know, laughing. And <laughs> it felt really good. <laughs> I got to be honest. Not really the heart of God, but it felt pretty good. When someone wrongs you, right? You get to just deserve it. But it, the Bible says grieve with them. I have to be honest. I had to repent. I was not grieving with those guys. All right, E, love them, Matthew 5, 44 and 45. This just keeps getting harder, by the way. What God requires, says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Again, we have to love, which includes forgiving. If we want an inheritance with God, we have to love. But that doesn't seem fair, does it? Let's read the rest of verse 45. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. God's ways are not our ways. We simply cannot always understand every purpose of the Lord. This is where trust and faith comes in, okay? F, pray for them. Matthew 5.44, we just read it. Pray for those who persecute you. I will tell you that I've found no better remedy in my own life for counteracting the bad feelings I get when people come against me or hurt me or reject me in some way, then, then I do by praying for them. Through prayer, not only will God often change the heart of the offender, but more often than not, he changes our own heart to conform to his will and his purposes in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Okay, pray for them. And, and the final point here, G, help them in their need. Exodus 23, 4. If you meet your enemy's ox... Or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. Ugh. So we have to help them in their need. Okay? And I said the last point. This is the last point. Finally, is seek reconciliation. H, if you're doing an outline. Seek reconciliation. Romans 12, 18. We already talked about this one. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Okay, listen. Reconciliation is always the end goal. It's the ultimate purpose of forgiveness, to restore relationship. That is the core of the gospel narrative. It's reconciliation. It's always reconciliation. It is the goal. It's not always possible. We'll talk about that. But that's the goal, okay? Fourth question. How do we forgive the unrepentant? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this is an important question to answer. The short answer is all the above. Everything we just covered. With one element left out, and that's reconciliation. There can be forgiveness granted by us to others without their repentance. However, it's not the same as forgiveness with repentance, okay? Which opens the door for reconciliation. All right? So let's turn to Luke 17. And we're getting close to being at the end here. Verses 3 and 4. Here Jesus tells his disciples to pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, this sounds an awful lot to me. Like forgiveness is completely dependent upon repentance. Well, in a sense it is. We cannot experience the cleansing of sin and receive forgiveness from the Father 
or reconciliation to him without repentance. It's a requirement for forgiveness to occur. That, of course, is in relation to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In order for forgiveness to have its full effect, in order for there to be true cleansing and restoration and reconciliation, there has to be repentance. And again, that's more than lip service. That's, that's action. However, even if repentance doesn't happen, we're still responsible to release the unforgiveness in ourselves and continue loving those that offend us. Luke 6.27, But I say to you, here, not here in this place, but here with your ears, here, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Okay, it doesn't say we can hang on to our unforgiveness. We have to release that. It's just the opposite. So we may not always see reconciliation in every relationship, particularly where there's no repentance. All right? We can only make decisions for ourselves. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, we're responsible for ourselves, for our own action. You can't make someone else repent. And sometimes they won't. Often they say they have and they haven't. The, the life hasn't changed. The, the lifestyle hasn't changed. Well, there's no repentance. There can't be true reconciliation. I understand that, but we're still responsible to release our unforgiveness. Even when those who offend us don't repent, we have to let go of our hurt. Give it to God and forgive the offender. If we're going to move on with our life and our relationship with the Lord, otherwise we're dead in our tracks. Stuck with unforgiveness wrapped around you like a ball and chain. Okay, and, and the last question today, and we're wrapping up. Five, the fifth question, what does forgiveness produce in us? And the answer is freedom. Freedom to let go. Freedom to let go of hurt, of woundedness. Freedom to let go of bitterness and anger. Rejection. Freedom to move on. Freedom to pursue God and His plan for your life with confidence. Nothing will hold you back in life like unforgiveness. If you've been wondering why your life hasn't gone to the place where you felt that God was maybe leading you, and you have unresolved feelings of, of unforgiveness in your life, I want to tell you that might be why. That may well be why you're stuck where you are. And by the way, I didn't include this in the outline because there's a lot of debate about the scripture in, um, I think it's in 1 Corinthians. It's, it's in the context of taking communion with an unforgiving heart and sickness coming onto our body. If we're not right with God, as we take uh, communion, we, we drink and eat judgment onto ourselves. There's some debate theologically about what all of that means, but there's no question that our physical body can and is affected by unforgiveness. It can affect your health when it turns to bitterness. You cannot move on in life when you're mired down in unforgiveness. If you want to realize the life that God has planned for you to the fullest potential and accomplish all that you can, all that he's designed you to be, you have to be willing to let go of unforgiveness. Even if you didn't do anything wrong, you have to let go. And I mean completely let it go as far as the east is from the west. Bury it in the sea of forgetfulness. And just a note on this last point, I've, I've experienced in my own life 
times when I've legitimately been hurt by others. And as I prayed and asked for God to help me release the hurt and the unforgiveness, He's shown me areas in those relationships where I was culpable, responsible for some of the hurt or the separation that occurred. I may not have done anything like what they did to me, but I still had to repent for my part. That isn't always the case, but sometimes it is. So, so you genuinely may not have done anything wrong at all, okay? Or you may have some responsibility and you don't even realize it. Either way, I'm asking you today to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit as you pray about these situations or relationships in your life in the event that He wants to reveal to you something that you may need to repent for, okay? Maybe not. Maybe you're clean. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you, all right? I'm going to ask our worship team to come as we finish this service and prepare to play one more song. Listen, guys, God is a God of reconciliation and forgiveness. But we have to do our part as far as it depends on you, live peaceably. The moment that we confess our own sin of unforgiveness and any other part that we may have played in a wounded relationship, that is the moment God will flood your life and your situation with grace. That allows for healing to begin and forward motion to continue so that you can realize the full potential of who he wants to be in you. Okay? We're going to watch a short video.